Hello, everyone, and welcome to Small Talk, a podcast hosted by Boston Children's Hospital Nurses. My name is Denise Downey, and I will be your co-host, along with my other co-host. Hi, I'm Teresa Shannon. I'm a nursing professional development specialist um, that works on the inpatient side of the hospital. I'm Kate Donovan. I'm the clinical director of innovation for the Department of Pediatrics, the simulation program, and the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator. And today we're going to be talking about precepting and what it means to be a preceptor here at Boston Children's Hospital. And we have a couple of distinguished guests with us today, and I'm going to give them a moment to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Becky Mead. I am a nurse in the Intermediate Care Program. I work currently as the Education Coordinator. Hello, my name is Stephanie Cummings. I am a new member of the CEI team, and I previously was a nurse in the emergency department here at Boston Children's for several years. And my name is Lauren Danforth. Um, I work alongside Stephanie in clinical education and informatics. And uh, my background is in ICU nursing, but I currently, along with Stephanie, facilitate our nurse residency program. Great. Can you guys each tell us a little bit about your role in precepting and why you're such a distinguished guest with us today? I can start with this one. So I was heavily involved in precepting in the emergency department. It was definitely a passion of mine. I was asked at my previous hospital to become a preceptor to a new grad nurse at my one-year mark, and it really had a huge impact on me, and I fell in love with precepting. I've always loved education in general, so it fit well for that. Um, and I did that for several years. And then with the encouragement of the lovely Denise Downey, I helped to establish a preceptor council in the emergency department just to help guide the precepting fees, to provide education around precepting, and just to build a support system for the preceptors that were working in the emergency department. I can jump in. So like Stephanie, I have been involved with precepting for a really long time. And I probably started precepting Many years ago, as a uh, newer nurse, I remember precepting is probably as early as one to two years off of um, orientation, and I continued to precept for a long time, and then I kind of transitioned into a more of a charge nurse role, an educator role, where I was working with preceptors a little bit more than doing the hands-on precepting, and it's definitely something that I have enjoyed, and you know, I'm passionate about providing good preceptor experiences to our nurses coming on to the ICP. And I coordinate the hospital-wide preceptor development program. So I teach the basic preceptor workshop and help out with other resources around precepting. Great. Thank you, guys. Well, we want to welcome you to our podcast today, and we're very excited to hear about your thoughts and a little bit more about your experiences around precepting here at Boston Children's. So I'm wondering, in your own words, could you describe what precepting really is? So it's really just the guidance and vision of education to any new staff that are coming on. There are certainly different levels of needs that people come to us with. Um, some come experienced, some are newly licensed, um, some are experienced but only in the adult realm and don't have a lot of pediatric experience. And so it's really just providing clinical education um, skills. There is responsibilities too in regards to enculturating someone onto the unit, um, providing some socialization with other team members just to 
hopefully build some camaraderie and some commitment to the practice setting in the hospital. But it's really about providing that clinical skill or providing education around clinical skill, communicating, uh, providing feedback and encouragement, supervising. There's a lot of cats that have reset drawers for sure. Um, and sometimes it can feel really daunting. But I think, yeah, education, I would say, is number one. And and then moving on from there to make you feel like part of the team. That's amazing, Steph. Thank you. Becky, how about you? Like Steph said, a preceptor has so many different responsibilities. When I think of precepting, I think of teaching. And a preceptor has to teach a new nurse or an experienced nurse in some cases how to adjust to a new unit, a new setting. So they have to learn how to take care of the patients that are seen in, in on the unit, but also they have the role of acclimating the new hire into the culture of the unit. And I find that that's a really big responsibility of the preceptor. We try to teach all of the clinical stuff to the new hires, but we want them to succeed on the unit. We want them to feel welcomed on the unit. And I think that sometimes that gets overlooked as a preceptor role. And I think that really is an important part of their their job. Yeah, they definitely have to help the new hire feel welcome and feel supported at the same time. So yeah, I think that's a huge part of being a preceptor. I always say that to me, a preceptor has kind of these three buckets. So they have to educate, right? What Becky was saying. They have to, and enculturate. And um, that is definitely the piece that I think often is left as a, an add-on almost, right? Like we were like, well, the, the education is the priority. And if we get to the enculturation piece, then great. And then they have to evaluate, right? And that might be the other part that I think preceptors going into the role often forget that their job is to evaluate that orientee and ensure that they are meeting competencies and that they are going to be successful in the practice setting. And honestly, right, we think of evaluation that comes from managers and and our preceptors don't get a lot of and don't have a lot of skill around what that evaluation looks like. And I think that can be a little bit uncomfortable. Lauren, that's an incredibly important point that you just said, because I feel like a lot of times the preceptors feel like the evaluation piece is really out of their scope and that it's up to management, maybe the formal educators in the unit to do the evaluation piece. So absolutely, that's really so important. I'm wondering what you guys think about the difference between being a preceptor versus being a mentor. Because oftentimes people use those words interchangeably, but we know they're very different. When I think of preceptor, I think of a more of a assigned relationship you know, if somebody comes in to a new job and they are provided a preceptor for their orientation, whereas a mentor where, where it can be assigned, it's often, you know, you have more of a choice of who you are being matched with. You know, we've seen many times the precept or the orientee will end up choosing a mentor, a preceptor for their mentor relationship, but other times they don't. Other times, you know, they feel more comfortable with somebody else on the unit or somebody off of the unit. So I feel like there's a difference there between the relationships. I was going to say, we talk about mentorship a lot in the TMP program, um, the Transition to Nursing Practice program, and and our colleague, Lauren Giancola, who's kind of our mentor guru on our team, does this fantastic talk about the difference between preceptorship and mentorship. And 
the one thing that always sticks out to me too is like preceptorship has an end point. Like, you know, an orientation is only for so long. Yes, sometimes they get extended, but there is an end point where mentorship is really a long lasting relationship and it's a little more give and take and that there's opportunities for, you know, professional growth in both directions. But exactly like Becky said, it's it's more of a voluntary relationship that you're like going into and you're taking it on because you know that you're going to gain something out of it. And not that you don't from precepting, you definitely do. But I think that precepting, it's like, it's not mandatory, but it's not as like reforming of a relationship as mentorship is. Do you often see that a new orientee picks the same person to be their mentor that was their preceptor? I, I think it just depends on the person. Like Lauren Danforth, it was my preceptor as um, as I was getting my master's in education, but then she you know, turned into my mentor and has guided me and has been a big part of my career development. And so I think that there is really, you know, value in that. But I think that there's also value, again, the TMP, that sometimes the best mentors are people who aren't in your practice setting um, because you have that freedom to kind of talk about some of those more personal things that you might not want to say to someone that you work with, like, hey, I'm having a difficult time in my relationship with this other person. That's hard to talk about with someone that is closely related to that relationship. And so having someone offsite off the unit can be a really helpful way to develop mentorship. It also allows for networking and other opportunities. But I think that it just depends on what you're looking for out of the mentorship relationship. Yeah, I like exactly what you said when you think that a good mentor is someone really outside of your practice setting because there are more opportunities for learning and for growth. And I think that's something that we often overlook at times. That's a great point. Well, and not to keep talking, but I, the other thing too is I think that something that we've learned from the from working with the new grads in the TMP program is that oftentimes they don't know what other people are doing on other units. Like they don't have that global view, like someone who's been here and has been through the system um, for a long time and been enculturated in the institution. And so when you have an opportunity to kind of share ideas with someone that's not on your unit, it really can be eye-opening to what it is that other people are doing. I'm wondering if each of you can think back to when you were being precepted and to think about maybe the first preceptor that you had in the beginning of your nursing career. If you could give us an example maybe of what was really good about the preceptor that you had and why it was good. That's a little bit of a hard question, but um, I would say I definitely can remember my first preceptor. And I actually worked alongside her for many, many years after the preceptor relationship. I think one of the things that I remember most is her patience. I came as a new grad, did had very little hospital experience. And I remember her being very patient with me. And I'm sure when I wasn't in view of her or when she was in the back room, she was probably pulling her hair out. But I never noticed that. I never felt like she was losing her patience with me. And I think that that was a really important thing. And I think that made a big difference in my orientation. Yeah. And that's what really stood out for you all these years later, right? Right. That's awesome. One thing, my um, preceptor when I was in your grad was really adamant that I look up policies and that I have these resources available. When I would go to her and say, what do you do about this? Or how do you do this? She'd say, well, what did you what did you do first before you came to ask me this question? Because she knew that one thing that was important was 
I was not always going, I, although there are people always around to ask questions, that it was important for me to know how to use the resources and where to find the information and to go searching there first before just jumping to whomever. And hers actually came from a place of there was at the time a lot of turnover and she was concerned maybe you'll turn and ask this question to someone who's really new, who hasn't worked here and at Children's for a long time. And so maybe you won't get the right information. And that has really stuck with me because thinking back to other preceptors that I had, um, they were not so clear on like, you know, where do you get the information here? I'm just going to tell you what to do and you can do that. And then I'll check the box and we can move on. Mm -hmm. So that was really important to you that you knew where to go first. And it was almost like she was making you do that first. Yeah. And you didn't dare go ask her unless you had that response already planned. I learned very quickly. That's what I had to do. <laughs> I had to find some information before I went there. Yeah, that's great. And do you find that you continue that today when you're precepting someone? I know that, um, especially when I talk to our new grads, I always say to them, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about policies, but, you know, where are your resources? How do you find that information? You know, turning just to the next person is not always, especially, you know, in our culture right now, with a lot of travelers, that's always not going to give you the best information. So how do you find that? Um, where do you find it? And ultimately, who are who might be the holder of that information that you can go to if it's not necessarily the person right next to you? Steph, what about you? I did my new grad at another hospital and their philosophy was really that near to peer model. So my preceptor was at her one year mark of coming off of her new grad orientation. And so I know that there's a little controversy on doing that, but I found it to be really helpful. I mean, it was really great those first few weeks when you feel like you're a deer in the headlights and you go in. Um, for me, I had been a CA in the emergency department here at Boston Children's. And I was working in the emergency department there and I and I went in probably a little cocky that I was like, I know like some things and I kind of know what I'm doing and I feel confident that I'll pick this up. And I remember just being like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm like, it's all lost. And, and I think that her being able to like look at me and genuinely say, I know how you're feeling and it's a really hard place to be, but you will get it and you need to be kind to yourself and like we're going to get through it and I'm going to teach you and I want you to ask questions and feel comfortable asking questions. And there was a lot of transparency in that relationship. And I felt like because she had been so close to her own experience, it was just, it just made it her more relatable. So that leads me to my next question. When is the right time to become a preceptor? So if someone is interested in being a preceptor, how long would you recommend they should be working in their own practice before they take on someone new? I'd say to Stephanie's point is it, it can be very controversial. I think that if you have nurses who are willing to precept, who want to learn, who take advantage of professional development opportunities, then I would say a minimum of a year. But if that's what they feel they're comfortable doing, I say you know, match them with maybe on a precepting team with someone who's more experienced. So you have a more experienced preceptor who they can go to for guidance while they, they navigate, you know, this new precepting role. But I like the idea of having precepting teams where you can have people who have different precepting experience and help to teach others. I feel like we're not always sure what the right answer is, but Lauren, I like what you're saying about it really depends on that person 
who's looking to be a preceptor and if they're looking to learn and to grow. And one thing that I tell the preceptors all the time is that you're being asked questions. You don't have to know the answer to the question, but what you are doing is helping the new orientee find the resources to find the answer to the question. Very interesting. I have found that preceptor teams has really helped. So in the ICP, we've had an expansion. So we've had to hire lots of new staff, which has really has really been tough for our preceptors because we had a main group of preceptors, but with all of the new staff, we had to add in additional preceptors. So we we might not have somebody precept until they get to their two year mark. We kind of had to change our policies a little bit to meet the needs of the growing unit. So like Lauren said, I have done the precepting team where I've had one experienced preceptor and then a less experienced preceptor and have them work together, especially during their first couple of times precepting. And I feel like that's been helpful. You know, I also try to have them take a senior practicum student before precepting kind of as like an introduction to precepting. So right now, the people who have been here for about a year of asking to take a student this fall and that soon after that, I will be asking them to precept some of our choirs. You know, Denise, I feel like if I have someone who's willing to precept, I would rather that person be precepting than find, you know, someone with 10 years of experience who doesn't want to precept, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why I go back to if they are willing and they're seeking out those opportunities, like that's the person that I want in that role because they're going to nail the enculturation piece, right? Because they really want that. They're, They're really interested. And I think they're excited to learn and they'll really want to educate. So, you know, I think that is probably more important than experience. Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. Because I I was thinking, Becky, as you were talking, I was wondering, do you force nurses to precept or do you give them a choice or both? To be honest, it's probably a little bit of both. I don't know if I would say force. Um, you know, if someone comes to me and says, I'm really burnt out and I can't precept, then I do everything in my power to, you know, give them a break. But like I said, with all of the new hires that we've had, most people are precepting if they're not, you know, if they're not a new hire. And I think, you know, I think they're doing okay with it, but I definitely worry about preceptor burnout. I think that is definitely something that we need to think about because it's a lot. Precepting is a lot. It's a lot of work. Right. And especially now. You know, like you said, we're orienting so many people. I think Lauren put it really well. I think at the end of the day, I don't think the amount or the amount of time or experience that you have is necessarily important. It's your your desire and your willingness to help because you're going to take the role a lot more seriously and you're going to put time and energy and effort and you're going to be thoughtful about it. And I just think you're bringing something to the table that someone who's maybe forced it or, or strongly encouraged to take on the role. Um, is maybe not going to bring that same level of enthusiasm. And I think it's an important time in their growth and development here. And so we really want to make sure that they want to stay here. We want them to feel supported and feel comfortable and feel like they're getting everything that they need out of their orientation so that they will stay. And I know, too, in the emergency department, one of the things that we struggle with, a lot of our new hires are starting with full-time hours. So they're they're taking on a full FTE. So they're working either 36 or 40 hours per week. And our preceptors don't always work that many hours in the course of a week. So we end up having preceptor teams, which might be 
you know, a few more nurses than we originally would like to, just so that we can fill the hours. I'm wondering, do your orientees have any thoughts about the preceptor teens? Do they like them or do they say there's too many or? I mean, I think there's a sweet spot. I think that there is appreciation for learning different methods from different people. And, you know, there's obviously different personalities. And so Preceptor has been really great for teaching me some of the anatomy and physiology and the intellectual side of things. But this preceptor has been really good at teaching me the hands-on clinical skills. And so I think that there is a good balance. And I think that you're getting an opportunity to see my, I remember when I was a new grad, my educator would say all the time, there's a million ways to skin a cat. Like just because they tell you this is how it's done doesn't mean that that's how it has to be done. And so if you learn from another person, you're going to learn that there's a different way to skin the cat. So I think on that often, but I do think I will say in part being part of the TNP program, there are times where it's 10, 15 preceptors and they, they feel like they're not building their confidence levels. On one shift, they're being told you did a really great job. And then the next shift, they are doing the same skill and that preceptor is like, no, you need to, you know, go back and read the policy or, you know, we really need to, you really need to practice that. And it can be really dejecting. And I think that, so I, I, I do think that there is too much, but I do think that there is, there is a sweet spot. I agree. There's definitely benefits to having, you know, more than one, because I've had orientees say, I'd like to see a different way of doing something, or the preceptor is not the best match for me. Whereas if they have two or three preceptors, they get to see different styles and might mesh better with one than the other. Um, and I'll often have orientees come to me and say, you know what, I re- worked really well with this certain preceptor. Is there any way on the next block of schedule if you could put me with them? Uh, I always try to do my best to do so because sometimes people just don't match, you know, their personalities don't work well together. But then on the on the other side of it, I've had people come to me and say, well, this preceptor told me I was doing it right. But then the very next day I had a different preceptor and they told me that I was doing it wrong. And then you have to try to sort through and figure out what is wrong, what is right. And that can be difficult to deal with. I think uh, you and uh, Stephanie and Becky just brought up like a key point with um, success with precepting and that's being able to give feedback in a constructive yet supportive way so that the uh, nurse isn't feeling so much conflict. Does anybody have any thoughts um, that they want to share about this skill? I have lots of thoughts. I love feedback to keep it as brief as possible. So I tend to get involved with orientees who are having challenges um, during their orientation period. And when I talk to preceptors about what those challenges are, I often have preceptors who put things in buckets. And I think this is a natural way that we've thought about how to give feedback. So they've taken a lot of data points, right? Examples of things an orientee has done, and they put it in this bucket. For example, you struggle with time management. And so they tell the orientee, you struggle with time management. Then the orientee will come to me and say, okay, I'm struggling with time management. How do I fix it? I said, well, what exactly are you struggling with, right? Do you struggle with organizing your day? Are you struggling with the when new things are get thrown into the mix? Do you struggle after rounds? Are you not completing your documentation? Like, what is it about managing your time that you're, you're having trouble with? Well, I don't know. My preceptor didn't tell me. And so for me, when I think about feedback, I, I, I think what's really important is actually for us not to bucket things anymore under these themes, but rather to get really granular with our orientees to give them these examples of this is what you're, you're struggling with. 
and it might be time management, but here are the things that you did today that didn't go well for you. And here are areas or things you can do that will improve your time management that you can practice the next time, right? And that really pointed feedback is often what orientees don't get. They get kind of the, the buckets of it, and then they don't know what to do with the information. And instead, it turns into a panic of, now I'm not going to be successful, but no one's told me how to get there and I have no tools. And so I, I don't know where to go. And I'm going to get, I, I often get pulled in with orientees to say, now they're going to fire me. Um, and I was like, that's not how it works. But let's try to pick away and peel, peel some of those layers back and figure out the specifics that you need for you to be able to take that and incorporate that into your practice. Yeah, I think that is absolutely key is to give very specific examples so that the orientee understands what the problem is and then you can work together to help problem solve. Absolutely, I think that's a great tip. I also think that giving the feedback in a timely manner is very important as well. Instead of waiting, sometimes people say, oh, I give all the feedback at the end of the week, but that might be too late. If you can do it in the moment or maybe not even in the moment, but when you have a few minutes of downtime in your day, I feel like it goes better. Okay, I think that's an excellent point. You know, one of the things I know in our unit, like you as we've had a lot of turnover, so you have a lot of novice preceptors involved. And one of the things we're encouraging the preceptors and the orientees is before they leave, always take like five to 10 minutes and just go over like, what went well this shift? What would you do differently tomorrow? You know, based on what you learned today. Um, and just have the RT elicit feedback and make it more like a reflective discussion is really important. I agree. Instead of letting things build up. What do you guys do, Lauren? You said when you often step in when an orientee is having trouble with a preceptor. What do you do when there is conflict between an orientee and a preceptor? So my default is always to try to continue to support them in that relationship. So not to change preceptors, really. However, you know, that isn't always the case. But we you always say you're going to work with people who you don't get along with. And so that's going to happen. So how do we give you some tools to navigate that relationship? Um, some of it I've gotten, you know, I don't like the style. I don't like the way that they speak to me. And so um, I, you know, we sit down and sometimes I'm the third party will, that will come in and say, like, let's have this conversation or I'll do some role playing with the orientee to say, like, how how would you talk to your preceptor about this so that you can try to navigate um, and your relationship and get through this just that precepting phase um, because you're going to have to work with them. There are obviously times where we feel that the conflict between the preceptor and the orientee is such that it's detrimental to the orientee's learning. And sometimes that's just based out of fear or, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, just working with that person in particular. And sometimes it's the preceptor who's really struggling with how to continue the relationship. And so often we find separating them in those really specific situations can be helpful. Yeah. In when that happens, I guess, how do you support the preceptor so that they want to continue to precept? Because what I find is like if they have a situation that doesn't go so well, the next time around when you say, hey, can you precept another new person? They look at you like, do I have to? <laughs> so how do you support that preceptor to continue to precept? One strategy is to screen essentially when you have new hires coming in and try to figure out, you know, will there be a good match here? So I can give them someone who's 
really experienced in this practice setting already, right? They come from, they're going into the ED, they have ED experience. Yeah, you met them on the interview. They're very lovely. Like, let's give that person to this preceptor so that they can be encouraged and um, you know that relationship most likely is going to go well. And then the other thing I always, when I work with preceptors and orientees who have been in these situations, I check in with the preceptor a couple of months later and talk about what is it that, you know, you've had some time to reflect, you know, what do you think about entering into that relationship again um, and having an orientee? What's holding you back? What concerns you? What are things that we can do to work on to make you feel better about that? Denise, I actually just had a situation that Lauren described. I had a very experienced preceptor who had back-to-back experiences that didn't go so well. So she was feeling very frustrated and she wasn't saying that she didn't want to precept, but you could just tell that she fell down on herself. And I tried to reassure her and so did our clinical coordinator and nursing director that this was a situation that couldn't be controlled and it had nothing to do with you and it would have happened, you know, with anybody. But I did exactly what Lauren said. I just assigned her to precept a very experienced nurse who's coming from an outside hospital who I'm very confident is going to succeed. And I think it will help build this preceptor's confidence back up. And I think it will also give her a little relief because it was very taxing on her, the day-to-day struggles that she had with this last two orientees. So I'm hoping that that will be the, the right thing, the right recipe for her to be successful and want to continue to precept because she's definitely a very strong preceptor. So Becky, that brings up a a really good point when you mentioned, you know, this poor preceptor is precepting back to back to back to back. And we know that in the climate of today's massive hiring, we're trying to fill all these positions and we're totally using our preceptors almost to their limits. I'm wondering what each of you in your respective work environments, what supports do you have for preceptors? or even any sort of guide for self-care. So how do we take care of our preceptors here at Jobins? A few months back, I had started a preceptor support group, or that's what we called it. And it was just a, it's just been a monthly group where I invite the preceptors on the unit to come. And, you know, we have a half an hour to an hour session where we, I usually pick a topic. We've had a variety of topics such as like how to deal with a difficult situation, providing feedback, orienting travelers. And we have a discussion about that topic. And, you know, I always try to prepare and, you know, wonder people are going to want to talk about these things. And the conversation just takes off from the beginning. And I have to tell them, okay, it's time to go back. We have to, we have to get back to the floor because I think they all have so many experiences and sharing them with each other really helps. Uh, hearing other preceptors' experiences and struggles and suggestions are help. I find this group has been very helpful, and I'm hoping that we can continue with it. Do you find you have good attendance at those sessions? You know, the attendance has been better than, than I had expected. Um, obviously, it is hard to get off the unit, but sometimes what I will do is I'll look and see the days that I have the most preceptors on and try to pick a day like that. I also set up a Zoom so anyone can call in from home, but really it's been the people who have been here seem to attend it. And generally they'll come. You know, I try to schedule it around lunch and people bring their lunches. It's been pretty good attendance. So I feel like it is something that people people want to vent or it gives them time away from their orientee in the day to have a little break. And I feel like the camaraderie amongst preceptors is really helpful as well. 
you know, they they learn and they lean on each other. For sure. From a central perspective, we have developed um, some additional preceptor resources, recognizing that going to a workshop is great and that's kind of a good starter. But knowing that over time, you know, maybe it's been a while since you've had some exposure to certain parts of that workshop, Uh, for example, learning styles, maybe, you know, you haven't really thought about different learning styles. And so we've developed some resources where preceptors can go to, you know, pick and choose what they want refreshers on in order to, you know, help them kind of think about, you know, where were the challenges with my last orientee and what maybe do I need to do personally in order to develop some skills around that. Yeah, you mentioned the learning style. So all the new grads do the learning style assessment. Is that right? It is. And I do it because, you know, the literature is mixed here and says more recently that a variety of teaching methods really helps learners retain information. And so sticking to specific learning styles, you know, teaching that person only one way might not be the best thing for them. I will say that in doing these learning styles, it helps the orientee recognize that there might be different ways that they learn that they didn't think about. And then it helps the preceptor see that, oh, maybe I will think about how I teach that a little bit differently than I normally do, right? Maybe my normal way is I'm going to do it like this. um, But knowing and seeing that there's these different learning styles, maybe I'll teach it this way. So it's really helping them build kind of that repertoire of how do I teach things in a different way to a you know variety of orientees? Yeah, I can speak to that quite a bit because when I meet with the preceptors and I tell them, you know, there is a different way to teach this. And the preceptor says, well, I learn best by doing it. So that's how I teach it. I said, okay, but you're not the one learning it. <laughs> So let's think about that. And then you see the light dawn and they're like, oh, right, I can do it a different way and maybe that'll be more helpful. So yeah, that's really good. From a preceptor perspective, what can they expect to get out of the preceptor orientee relationship? I know there's some incentives. Um, I think that there's a lot to be gained. For me, it was like keeping me up to date and with the knowledge. I took the role very seriously, ask anybody in the ED and that'll tell you, but I wanted somebody to get everything they needed out of the orientation. I wanted them to feel educated and supported, and I wanted them to feel like they were ready, and I wanted them to feel like they were a part of the team. And so I felt like when they asked me a question, it was a great opportunity, and I didn't know the answer. It was a great opportunity to challenge myself to learn the material, to to then, you know, share it with them and educate them on it. And so I felt like I was constantly learning a lot from it. And then there were things that I, I would, at the end of the day, I would just be like, wow, I didn't realize how much I knew about that. Like it's always been in my mind and I, but I never was consciously thinking about it. Um, And when you have to talk about it and share your knowledge, I I felt like there were some days I was like, who, what? Like that wasn't me. Like who, who knows all that? And it boosted my confidence and I felt really good. And I felt, especially when I was working with the newly licensed nurse. I mean, I had one in particular that I had a, a really fabulous relationship with. And I felt like if I could have modeled any of my precepting relationships, it would have been modeled after the relationship I was able to establish with her to get more in depth. At the time I was getting my master's in education, I was taking it really seriously. I had just finished working with Lauren as part of the TMP um, while uh, during my senior practicum. And to your point about the learning styles, I, I remembered all of this information that Lauren had shared about, you know, the research and 
and why it was important. And obviously she took the time to send the learning style assessment information to the preceptors. And I just remember like really making it a point of, of sitting my, my newly licensed nurse orientee down and being like, okay, we need to talk about, you know, the two bag method for diabetes. How do you want me to show it to you? There are videos there. I can print out the policy. We can go and play with the equipment and, you know, and do the calculations together. How would you like me to teach this to you? And I felt like that really changed how I viewed precepting. And I felt like in that relationship and moving forward with my additional orientees, like that was then how I framed it because it just seemed to work really well. Yeah, it was a really good confidence boost, knowledge boost. It put me in the spotlight of other people. I mean, obviously, I now work with Lauren, you know, specifically on her team and facilitating the TMP. And so it opened up other opportunities up for me, too, um, because I got involved. I got my name out there. I networked. And um, I think that precepting is a great way to get your foot in that door. That's great. And Steph, I think you you raised a good point that you need to figure out where the orientee is at and you meet, you need to meet them at that level. You need to teach them what they need to learn, not what you think they need to learn. And you got to figure that out as the preceptor. That's your job. Exactly. Yeah. What would you say is unique about being a preceptor here at Boston Children's? Having been a preceptor at other another facility, uh, I would say I, I really do think that there is a lot of supports in place. To my knowledge, there was not a preceptor workshop. There were not preceptor-specific resources, handouts, printouts, feedback workshop. There weren't those supports in place there. It was kind of I was flying blind, and I took on the challenge at one year. So I was probably naive to what the expectations were of a preceptor at that point, which probably was a good thing. Even now, I look back and I'm like, wow, I wasn't utilizing all of the resources that were available to me. And I probably should have been. But now I feel like I'm a champion for saying, well, do you know this exists? Do you know where to find this? Have you looked at the preceptor resource website? Um, Because there are so many great supports in place. Again, to raise up Denise, uh, I had a really great educator who was supportive of me and my experiences as a preceptor. I laugh because I feel like when you asked, was there a situation that didn't go well? I got fired as a preceptor once, and I remember having a lot of long conversations with Denise about it and feeling really down and dejected and like, but I felt so supported and encouraged and like, to Becky's point earlier, like, just because that's your relationship this time, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen every time. And yeah, it stinks that it happened to you, but it probably would have happened at any preceptor. And like, those conversations are really meaningful. And I felt like, you know, well, my, my leadership team does have my back on this. And because there is obviously you think that people are going to look bad, you know, look down on you because you didn't succeed as a preceptor. When in reality, that's not that's usually not the case. It, well, that just wasn't a great pairing. And, you know, there's a lot to learn from it. And get back on the horse. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> and look at you now, a great success story. <laughs> All because of you, Janine. Oh, you're very kind. I learned a lot of my successes too. Yeah, for sure. Well, kudos to the education team and the entire institution because I feel like that's where all of the support has, you know, most of it has been generated from with the educator team throughout the house, recognizing what the preceptors need to support them in this in this role. So, So if someone is interested in being a preceptor, what can they do to find out more about becoming a preceptor? 
first they can talk to their local leadership, right? And figure out if that from their perspective, you know, are they in a good place to be providing that be, being put in that role? And then to go and seek out the that the centralized resources that we offer. So a basic preceptor workshop. We also have applying advanced concepts and precepting, which obviously not for someone who's starting, but that will be later on. Um, but definitely immersing yourself in all of those centralized resources that we have for guiding your preceptor, but really making sure first that so you have the support of the people who work with you day in and day out who might say, you know, I'm glad you're interested. Here are some skills or things that I think you need to do prior to becoming a preceptor. Maybe in your practice setting, it's really important to be a charge nurse. Maybe that's something that needs to be done before someone becomes a preceptor. You know, whatever it is that they need for the, for their growth and development to really put them and set them up for success in that role as a preceptor. Mm-hmm. But I'll definitely plug the basic preceptor workshop because I think it's a great foundation. And I might teach it. So. There you go. I love that. What words of advice in closing would you give to anyone who either is a preceptor or is thinking about becoming a preceptor? I think uh, I'm going to go with advocate. And there's a lot of ways that we, I mean, as nurses, right, it's something that we we should be pretty good at. Um, But there's self-advocation. So whether it's, you know, I'm ready for this challenge, I'm ready for this role, and I want to take it on. I want to know how to become a preceptor and how, you you know, I can be supported in that role. Sometimes it's advocation of saying, I've done this a lot and I recognize that I'm not as effective as a preceptor as I once was because I've been doing it a lot and I need to take a step away. That's okay too. I mean, I felt really guilty personally. Um, I was the lead for the preceptor council in the emergency department and I was feeling like I need a break from this, but I'm also championing the role. Like, how can I take a step back and also be encouraging other people to do it? But I think that at some point you do, you have to self-advocate when you want it, when you need a break from it, and then advocating for your orientee and making sure that they're getting a really great experience out of it too. Um, So don't be afraid to take on the challenge, to speak up, to share your knowledge. Everybody here works here because they're great clinicians and they're really knowledgeable and they had the you know education to support somebody else through their um, onboarding, and so I'd say yeah, lots of lots of advocating. Mm-hmm. Becky or Lawrence, you know, as a preceptor, I think that you just have to realize how important your role is. We couldn't do staff without you. We need these new hires to get up and running, and without preceptors, we wouldn't have staff to work on the units. They should feel good about being a preceptor. Um, It's not something that everybody does, right? So if they're asked to be a preceptor, I I think they should feel good about it and confident in their skills and their knowledge because they've done something that's gotten us to realize, oh, I think they would be a good preceptor. And I, I don't think they're given enough credit. And I think that that is something definitely that we're seeing how important these people are. So I think they should just feel feel good about it and have open communication with the educator or with the leadership on the floor. If they feel like they need a break or they feel like they're interested in more precepting or would be glad to have them. Yeah. I think to that point, Becky, too, um, my advice to preceptors is that, you know, really working as a team, right? You're not solely responsible for the success or the failure of an orientee, but you work together 
with your leadership team and maybe on a precepting team. And so when, you know, things aren't going well, rallying those resources and those support systems um, so that you can feel like, okay, we have a plan and we know what's going on. Um, that, you know, that's what I'd say. You have lots of support. So don't be afraid to ask them for help. Wonderful. Just sorry, one last thing, just because Becky made me think of this, but I know when I was um, precepting, a lot of times people would, you know, kind of joke around with me like, oh, you take it so seriously. And I just, I remember just looking at people and being like, yeah, because that's my coworker. Like I want to work alongside somebody that is going to be helpful and is going to be knowledgeable and successful here. And I want them to be a coworker that I want to work with. And, and so that's my responsibility as part as their preceptor is to really give them the opportunity to be that coworker for everybody on this unit. And again, I kind of felt like if I do a good job, then maybe, you know, that's my retain them for a longer period of time. And then I can't take a break from precepting. But but it was true. That's kind of how I felt like I want to take this seriously. So I can stop doing it all the time. I love your honesty, Steph. I appreciate it so much. Here's one thing you're going to get from me. <laughs> well, I want to thank the three of you definitely for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, your experience with us. I really think that, you know, with all the support and with all of the the resources that we have available for our preceptors, we know that precepting is never going to go away. So how can we support it in the future? And how can we raise our preceptors to stuff, like you said, to really feel good about raising their coworkers? I think you guys have done an incredible job in each of your respective departments in raising preceptors. So I want to thank you for all that you do. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And, I, and, a, and a quick plug from uh, Emily Crossan is that uh, one, two, nursing, patient care operations page, professional development, preceptor resource page. There are so many resources out there. Go look them up. They're great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This was great, guys. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.